Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Father, we, we just pause today to consider that you indeed are our God. And we have the honor, the privilege, the position of being your children, of being your people. That you, the God who created us, you are also the God who recreated us. That you are the God who made us and made everything around us, but you're also the God who remakes us into your own image through Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for this, for this position of privilege that we have as your children, as your people. We thank you for being our God. We thank you that we can have access to you. We can come before you with our prayers, our, our broken hearts, our joys, our celebrations. We can bring them to your, your throne, bring them to your feet. Father, we can bring even our guilt and our shame. We can bring our brokenness. Bring it right before you, our God, our maker, to be remade, to be recreated. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. And now as we turn to Scripture, as we read these words in this moment from the life of Jesus today, we ask you to move in us, move in our, our, our heads, our brains, our minds, move in our hearts, touch us with your words. And Father, move in our hands and feet. Teach us to be your hands and feet in the world around us. Teach us to love better. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. May you see it. Well, once again, welcome to Faith Christian. So glad that you are with us today, both here in the room and joining us online. We are in a sermon series that we're calling Potholes. And what we're doing, the idea of this sermon series that we've been in and we're, we're going to be in all the way through Easter Sunday morning, is we, uh, the idea is that as we, as we journey along the road of life, there are some, some, some obstacles, some potholes that we have to kind of navigate around, navigate ourselves through, unless we fall in and do some real damage to our lives. And to kind of a, as a way to help us learn to navigate these, we are walking with Jesus through the last week of his life, the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life, the week that stretches from what, what, what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, Jesus riding triumphantly into the city of Jerusalem, all the way to the cross and to the grave, and even through the grave on Easter Sunday that we'll celebrate here in just another month together. Um, we, we are walking with Jesus, and we are seeing that as Jesus, in this last week of his life, as he has to deal with people, <laughs> relationships, as Jesus has to deal with circumstances that were beyond his control, beyond what he desired, as Jesus had to deal with emotions that come with people and relationships and circumstances and all the events that were happening in the last week of his life, we're finding as we walk with Jesus through these moments that we're finding ways that we can deal with these potholes that we have to navigate in our lives. And the pothole that we're going to deal with today is this weird emotion that all of us have had to deal with at some point in our lives, and that is the, um, this weird emotion of dread. Dread. So let me just ask you, as we get started, and yeah, I, today maybe is a little bit heavy. Next week's going to be a little bit heavy too. But as we, as we get started, what, what do you do when you dread something? Maybe for you, it's a conversation that you're going to have to have with your spouse. 
or a conversation you need to have with your kids. Maybe you've got a big presentation coming up at work tomorrow and you're dreading it all weekend long. Maybe it's a meeting with the accountant about your taxes. Maybe it's a, a visit to the hospital for some tests or a, a follow-up with the doctor's office that you dread. Maybe you're dreading something coming up. Maybe it's a funeral you have to attend or maybe you're dealing with, a, with an a, ailing or aging parent and you're dreading that moment. A lot of us will just kind of fall into the pothole right then when this happens. We just fall right into the pothole, and a lot of us will say, you know what? I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm just going to walk away. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to push that I'll just down the road a little bit later. You know, that's future Larry's problem. We'll deal with that down the road, or I'm going to let somebody else deal with that problem. It's not going to be a problem. I'm just going to act like it's not a problem. But we're going to see today in Matthew 26 that Jesus chooses a different path when it comes to what do you do when you dread so let's pick up this journey with jesus and see how he navigates this pothole we're going to pick up the story kind of where we left off last week if you were here we left jesus in the upper room he and his disciples had, had gathered together were celebrating the passover together and jesus had had created this beautiful moment where he turned the passover into the eucharist and and established for us the communion or the the, the lord's supper that we'll partake in together in, in just a little while in this service and so that's kind of the moment where we left Jesus off last week. It was, it was celebrating the Passover and the Lord's Supper. By the time the meal was over, things got a little weird. Um, Judas will run out of the room because Judas has got to go do some business. He's about to betray Jesus. We will talk. That's the one we're going to talk about next week, betrayal. And that's going to be a little heavy next week as well. Judas is going to run out of the room. Um, Jesus and Peter are going to have an argument <laughs> That's always awkward, isn't it, Said over dinner? And then some of the disciples are going to have an argument among themselves about which one of them is the greatest, which one of them is the most important, who got to be the most important. And so just a weird, weird, weird way for this meal, this celebration to end. What actually ends, after all that, um, Scripture says that they sang a song together, which I kind of like. All right, we've got all our spats. Let's, let's, let's sing a song of worship together. Let's get our heads back on. And then they leave the room. And Jesus leads them out of the upper room, out of the city gates, into the Kidron Valley, up this hill that's overlooking Jerusalem, this Mount of Olives where they're headed, because Jesus wants to have a little bit of alone time. He needs to go and pray. And that's where we're going to pick Jesus, uh, this moment of dread up. It's where Jesus begins to wrestle with what he's dreading next. Is in this Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, dreading what's coming up. So they made this walk from the upper room out of the city, across this Kidron Valley. I've got a picture of the Kidron Valley. This is what, kind of what it looks like today. Um, that, there it is. Yeah, that's kind of what it looks like today. This is a valley that has separated the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and they're walking to this Garden of Gethsemane, which most of us have heard about before, which was on the Mount of Olives. They would have had to walk through this Kidron Ravine, or valley. Now, in the Kidron Ravine, in the Kidron Valley, there was this channel. Think you know, gutter, plumbing kind of thing. This channel that ran all the way from the temple back in the city of Jerusalem, ran all the way out of the city through the Kidron Ravine. And this channel um, was, was traveled from the altar in the temple. The altar was where the priest would offer these animal sacrifices, usually a lamb, at Passover time. And so when you think about this, now we've, we've said in this series, if you've been around, this Passover time, hundreds of thousands of people Hundreds of thousands of people have come from all over to Jerusalem for this week, for this Passover. The estimate is that this particular time in, in history, 
on the average year at Passover time, the priest would have sacrificed in the temple during the week of Passover 256,000 lambs. That's a little bit more than the T County Fair, right? That's a lot of blood, isn't it? And so that blood has flown from the altar in the temple through this channel out the city of Jerusalem into this Kidron ravine where Jesus and the disciples are now walking on their way to Gethsemane on the way up to the Mount of Olives. There's no doubt that they would have, on this walk, that they would have seen this enormous pool of blood. And I wonder if in this moment that Jesus thought that the very next day he would be the Lamb of God, whose blood would take away the sins of all once and for all. Well, Jesus had seen crucifixions before. He knew that there was excruciating pain ahead. In fact, our English word excruciating comes from the same root word from, uh, that crucifixion comes from. He knew that the sin of the entire world would be laid on him in that moment, he knew that he would be alienated from his father, something that he had never experienced for all eternity. So in these final moments, through the Kidron Ravine, up the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, I've got a picture of that as well. That's what that looks like. The Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane literally means place of crushing, place of crushing. The Garden of Gethsemane was an olive grove. There's, there's still these ancient olive trees still there today if you get a chance to visit Israel. And in the garden, they would harvest the olives, and then they had these giant um, stone wheels, presses, where they would press the olives down, crush the olives to extract the oil from the olives. So Jesus goes now to this place of crushing this Garden of Gethsemane, feeling the crush of knowing that his disciples are going to abandon him in just a couple of hours feeling the crush of knowing that one of his closest friends is going to betray him in just a couple of minutes. Feeling the crush of an upcoming unfair trial. Knowing that a brutal flogging was coming in just the next few hours that's going to be followed by this excruciating crucifixion. So it's no wonder when Jesus arrives at the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to his disciples in Matthew 26, 38, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Some of you know what that feels like. You've, you've been there. So completely overwhelmed with grief that you just don't think you can breathe another breath. He told them, verse 38, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell, on his fell with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Now this is very significant, because every one of us has wondered, at some point in our life, every one of us has wondered, does God understand the pain that I'm going through? Does, does God really understand how much this hurts, this situation that I'm in right now? Does, does God know the pain of my infertility? Does God know the disappointment of when the adoption falls through? Does God understand the, the pain and the embarrassment when we lose a job, when there's a miscarriage, when there's a death, a divorce, 
abuse, an overdose, malignancy. Just consider for a moment the pain and the anguish of Jesus. I've seen, maybe you've seen too, my grandmother used to have one of these pictures on her wall, but the, the artist's rendering of Jesus um, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, isn't that just a, just a lovely picture? Look at Jesus there in that picture. He's, he just had his hair blow-dried. Um, his robes just back from the cleaners. Look how just pretty and pristine that is. That's the picture we kind of have because we've seen this. Like I said, my grandma had, had a picture very similar to this in her house. This is not the picture. This is not what this would have looked like. This wasn't the, Jesus came to this moment in anguish. He came in pain and in suffering. He didn't just kneel. Did you catch the word back there in verse, 30, uh, verse 29? He fell with his face on the ground. His clothes would have been filthy, dirty. He's on the ground. He's perspiring. His hair is matted from the sweat dripping down. Listen to me. There is no pain that you and I experience in our lives that is any deeper than the pain that Jesus felt as he came to this place of crushing. So what I want to do today, is a couple of things we kind of want to walk through. First, I want us to notice how Jesus deals with this moment of dread because he, he prays in this moment. And I want us to notice how Jesus prayed when he came to this garden because I think this might help us learn to pray when we come to our moment of dread. There are three dimensions to his prayer that I think we could, that, that we could learn from. The first one is this. Jesus prays very specifically in the garden. Not vague generalities. His prayers are very specific. L listen to it again. He went on a little farther and fell with his face to the ground praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Jesus is making a very specific request. God, if this is possible... May this cup, may this cross, may this brutality that's ahead, may this betrayal from my friends, may this separation I'm going to have from you, may, may, if it's possible, God, I would just like to skip the whole thing. I'd like to bypass all of it. God, could you just take it away? I think one of the most common causes of unanswered prayer is that we get in this habit of praying in these vague generalities, that, that we don't get very specific with God. Sometimes we'll just pray, you know, all right, hey, God, um, be with me today and uh, be with my kids at school today and, and be with all of us and, oh, yeah, be with the sick people and just be with everybody. And I hear those prayers. I hear those prayers out of my own mouth. And I sometimes think to myself, poor God. He doesn't get to do anything. He just gets to be, be with people. That's all we ask him to do. We don't ask him to do specific things. So I would just say, let me challenge you. Let's stop with the vagueness in our prayers the bless us, the be with us, the forgive us. Listen, if you're going to ask God to forgive your sins, be specific about what sin it is that you're asking God to forgive you from. He already knows. You're not going to embarrass God. He already knows. But be specific because that's going to help you heal as well. Which, which sin are we asking God to forgive? Be very specific. Pray specifically. The more specific a prayer becomes, the more intimate the conversation becomes between us and God. Jesus prayed specifically. He also prayed very selflessly. Jesus prayed selflessly. He, he, while he was very specific in his request, three times, three times he's going to pray, God, if it's possible, let this cut pass. God, if it's possible, let's skip this. God, if it's possible, let's do it another way. God, if there's, three times he prays that. But he was also selflessly surrendered to the will of God. And three times, after praying this prayer, God, if there's any other way, God, can we skip this? Three times he also prays this. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. God, I want what you want. That's ahead of what I want. 
God, what you want is more important than what I want. Not as I will, but as you will. It is my desire to bypass the whole thing, to skip the whole thing, but not as I will, as you will. This is what I want, God, but if this doesn't mesh with what you want, I'll be okay with that. If this is, this is what I want to happen, but if this is not what you want to happen, I'll be okay with what you want. I will accept what you want. Listen, that, that, that's a hard prayer. That's a hard prayer. But I think it's a true indication of your trust in God is when you will trust Him to do His will, even if it's not your will. So I'll just ask you, can, can you do that? Can you trust God to do His will and not your own will? Have you, I'm going to say it like this, have you died to your own will? You know, we often think of Jesus, and we, we talk about Jesus dying on the cross. I think there was another important death that took place during this Passion Week. And I think it takes place right here in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the death of Jesus' will. He selflessly leaned on what God's will was. We need to learn to trust God, even when it doesn't line up with what we want. We need to learn to trust God's will even when we can't understand what God's, God is doing. We, we need to learn to trust God even when we can't track with, what's God, with what God is doing because it doesn't match up with what we most desire. Jesus prayed specifically, selflessly. Here's the third one. Jesus prayed passionately. Luke gives us this insight about the prayers of Jesus in this moment in, in Gethsemane, Luke 22. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This was a bloody prayer. In his final hours, his final prayers, Jesus, as Jesus was beginning to, to move towards the cross, these last events, he falls on his face before God, and this becomes a bloody prayer. Jesus uses a term in this prayer that, um, uh, that, that was the first time this term was ever used to address God in Scripture. The word is Abba. Yeah, we read it in Mark's, Mark's version of the story, Mark 14. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Here it is again. <laughs> Yet not what I will, but what you will. But that, that, that phrase Abba, that, that, that word Abba, that's an intimate word for, for Father. Um, it'd be similar, it's a bit of a stretch, but it's similar to how, how we might call our, our fathers Daddy. Or how a baby might say, Dada, Dada, Abba, Abba. You kind of hear it, can't you? It's an intimate term of affection for your father. So Jesus comes to the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everywhere, omnipotent God of the universe, and he says, Abba, Father, Abba. Jesus fell on his face in the garden of Gethsemane before God. He was praying so intently that his sweat became like drops of blood, and he cried out to his daddy. I think many of you have probably prayed in moments like that. Those moments in life when you didn't think you could take the next breath. That there was that kind of intensity in this prayer of Jesus. You didn't know how you were going to endure. You didn't know how you were going to make it. That you prayed. So just real quick, what is this cup that Jesus keeps referring to? He's asking, is there any way you can let this cup pass? 
And of course, we, we, we read this and we think Jesus is talking about the crucifixion, but it's more than just the pain of the crucifixion that he's talking about. This cup would pass for me. It's not just the pain of all the events that are going to lead up to the crucifixion. It's the pain of rejection that Jesus is about to feel from his Father. You see, Jesus knows that he is about to absorb the sin of all of humanity. And he knows that God the Father does not coexist with sin. And so he knows there's going to be a separation. For the first time in all of eternity, there's going to be a separation between God the Father and God the Son. This is the moment that Jesus is dreading. So Jesus comes, Daddy, Daddy. But before he could even plead his case, he says, not what I will, but what you will. Let that be done. That's the most important thing. No matter how much my soul is being crushed, no matter how much I dread what's about to happen, I will go through with it because I have faith in you, Daddy. So after praying that prayer over this whole situation, Jesus gets up, goes back to where the disciples are having fallen asleep their story. We didn't have time to get into that part of the story today. Couldn't even stay awake with him while he prayed. And he says, all right, guys, it's time to get up. I'm about to be betrayed. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. I'm sure they could see the torchlight coming over the hill as Judas and the soldiers came to arrest him. We'll get to that part of the story next week. But Jesus says, let's go. It's time. Let's go. Jesus does not come up to the disciples and, oh, guys, it's too hard. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too hard. That's not how Jesus reacts. Jesus doesn't come up to the disciples. All right, they're coming. Quick, let's make a run for it. I think we can still get away. That's not what Jesus does. But having prayed specifically, and having prayed selflessly, having prayed uh, passionately for God's will to be done, not his, he's ready to move courageously out of the pothole of dread with resolve and peace to do what has to be done. There's a couple of takeaways, just some, some things I want you to take home with you from the, based on this snapshot of, of the life of Jesus this last week. Here's the first one. Just take this home with you. Christ's prayers, and we see this in the prayers of Jesus, Christ's prayers are more effective when they are preceded by daily prayers. Nobody could have prayed like Jesus did under that kind of pressure without a lot of practice. Obviously, he had cultivated the art of praying every day. We read in the Gospels, all four of the biographies of Jesus, we read that Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer, even in the non-crisis days too. For instance, let me just show you a few. Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, praying. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 5, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. What's my point? Jesus had a habit of praying regularly, daily, on a daily basis. He prayed in the non-crisis moments. He communicated, had a conversation with God in the non-crisis moments. So when the crisis comes, his crisis prayers were most effective because he knew how to talk to God in those moments. And I'm just going to say to you, if you, if you only talk to God in the, uh, the rescue 911 moments of your life, you're not going to have the composure that you need to talk to God in the crisis. Jesus knew crisis prayers are most effective when they're preceded by daily prayers. Here's the second thing I think we need to know when we face a season of dread. Second thing we can kind of take home from this moment in the life of Jesus. 
And that is we can remember that Jesus has been where I am. Jesus has been in the place of crushing. He knows what it feels like. He remembers what it feels like. I love this beautiful concept from the New Testament book of Hebrews that says we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Here's what that means. When you feel betrayed, Jesus says, I remember. I remember what that feels like. When you lose someone you love, Jesus says, I remember. I remember how much that hurts. I remember how broken I felt. When you are dreading the next day, Jesus says, I remember. I don't just understand. I remember how that felt. When you feel lonely and abandoned, Jesus says, I I remember. I remember what that was like. Jesus dealt with it in this moment and throughout his life. We know that he is with us. We know that he knows what it is that we are going through. He doesn't just say, oh, I feel for you. He says, I remember. I was there too. Here's the last thing to help us through our seasons of dread. I think we can learn from Jesus. And that is, like Jesus, I will surrender to God's better plan. Jesus comes clean with God about his apprehensions about the next day, his dread about the next day. And then he marches forward with resolve and peace. He marches forward. I think one of the most important things that Jesus says during this entire Passion Week, and he's got a lot of important things he's going to say on the cross and on the other side of the grave, I think one of the most important things that Jesus has said this entire week is, God, I want your will to be done, not mine. Your will, not mine. And this passage reminds me, every time, every time I think I'm not sure if I can trust God, this passage reminds me that Jesus could trust him, even in the moment of crushing. So maybe I can lean on that. Maybe I can lean into that. When I'm not sure what's next, if Jesus could trust his Father to lead him through what's about to happen to him, maybe I could trust God to lead me through what I'm about to walk through. So let me just ask you, what's what's heavy on your heart right now? Because we all have something. Maybe it's the trauma we've all endured over the last couple of years together maybe it's your fear about your job or the the, the health of your business maybe you're dreading a conversation that you know you're going to have to have with somebody in your family maybe you've got a doctor's visit scheduled this week and you really don't want to hear what they have to say maybe it's a hospitalization or a ailing or aging parent that you're going to have to help in some way what is it what is it that's heavy on your heart right now what is it? And I want to give you a moment today to just kind of bring it to Jesus and to give it to him. Because it's in these moments that Jesus doesn't say, well, that sounds awful. It's too bad to be you. That's not what Jesus says. In those moments, Jesus says, oh yeah, I remember. 
I remember what that's like. I've walked through those days. I've walked through those trials. I've walked through that dread. I've walked through anxiety. I'm about to walk through death. You know, Jesus doesn't just walk with us to the grave. He walks with us through the grave. So what is it that's heavy on your heart right now? I'm going to give you a moment right now to just present our request to God. If you're on our communion team, you go ahead and take your places and get ready to serve our communion. But right now, everyone else, just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. And let me just going to invite you into a time of prayer. Right there where you sit this morning, right where you're watching at home, online. And I just want you to present your burden to God. Give it to Jesus right now. I'm going to let you start the prayer, and after a couple of seconds, I'm going to, I'm going to finish the prayer, but you start. Just give that to God. Take a few moments right now and just present your request, your heavy heart, your burden, your dread, your fear. Give that to God right now. Go ahead and be specific with God. He doesn't care. Be brave enough to be specific with be passionate, be selfless. God, we are all carrying something. Sometimes we're better at hiding it maybe than other times. We're better at pushing it down and pretending it's not there. There's not a person in this room or watching this broadcast who's not carrying something. And so today, right right now, right here where we sit, we just want to lay our hearts out before you. And we just say, God, you know what it is that we're dreading. You know what we're nervous about. You know what we're anxious about. And we're just going to hand it over to you, God. Because you've experienced it. You've been there. You remember so God, would you, would you take this weight off of our shoulders? Would you give us peace in the midst of our chaos and dread? And would you walk with us through this season that we're in? We pray all of this in Jesus' name.